0: Folks this is Captain Fred this is the fifth dimension today we're going to um celebrate 911 by maybe taking a look at how this country has fell into what a lot of people would describe as a a fascist uh, controlled uh, regime and 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 to say that you have to really kind of look at Mussolini the the creator of fascism and uh, understand that he used, well, Mussolini used a mix of legal state repression with, a, with illegal squad violence. He, um, the police could arrest and harass political opponents, and the squads would go out and engage in beatings, assassinations, and uh, other critics. But before we do that, I want to play a clip from, uh, uh, a couple of, um, well, this is, uh, a guy named, uh, ugly, Moke, <laughs> ugly, mo, ugly, most I've got it somewhere written down here, but it, he's a, a professor of economics from MIT. And, and he sums up a lot of the, the things that we're probably going to end up talking about today. Anyway, uh, Sam, have you got that clip?
1: The the main idea of the book is that if we want to think about the prosperity or poverty of nations, we have to think about the politics of it. In particular, we have to think about institutions that provide incentives for innovation and investment or a level playing field. But sadly, those institutions are rather rare in history. What we see much more are what we call in the book extractive institutions which have been designed by a few people, the elite in society to extract resources from the rest of society and they don't generally encourage investment or innovation and they certainly don't provide a level playing field for people to use their talents. I think the best way to understand why this theory rather than those that have been proposed over the centuries, uh, emphasizing the importance of geography, culture, or enlightened leadership, is the right way to for thinking about the prosperity of nations. We can consider an example. Consider uh, how the what we view as the extractive institutions in South America have formed uh, over the last past centuries versus the more inclusive institutions in North America. If you look at the way that the uh, Spanish conquistadors uh, conquered. Uh, Latin America, uh, the main thing they were interested in were, uh, the main things they were interested in were, uh, gold, silver, and people to enslave and capture and put to work, uh, to produce goods and food for them. And when they, uh, found places which were empty or sparsely settled, they had no interest in those places. They moved away and, uh, Uh, Places such as Buenos Aires, for example, with a great climate and uh, fertile land around it, was not what the Spaniards were interested in. When the uh, English colonialists went to North America, they had a remarkably similar uh, strategy for colonization as the uh, Spaniards in the South. They first tried to capture the Indians. That didn't work because they were too sparsely settled and they didn't have the Aztec or the Inca empires to turn to. So as a second strategy, they tried to bring in indentured servants to become the enslaved people to produce food and uh, goods for the elite. That didn't work either, and people ran away and uh, wanted their freedom. And it was finally upon the realization that those strategies would not work in North America that they started to introduce uh, first bits of uh, inclusive institutions. They, uh, they introduced the head rights system giving incentives and uh, land to settlers and then also a general assembly so that the settlers could govern themselves. And I think what's uh, remarkable about this story is that it emphasizes that it wasn't some English culture or some different vision of leadership that led to the outcomes uh, that, that were so divergent between North and South America. It was certainly not geography, because at the time the Europeans arrived, it was actually the South that was more developed and the North that was less developed. It was the politics of it, and in particular that the uh, Spanish conquistadors could take over existing hierarchies and use force to enslave people in the South. But they couldn't do the same in the North because there were not enough people to enslave. And when they brought their own uh, lower strata of the society, those people rose up and didn't give them those the same uh, opportunities. And those beginnings of institutions have persisted and led to a more inclusive system in the North and to a more extractive system in the South. And when we see today, more innovation, more investment, and more level playing field in places such as the United States or Canada than in Mexico, Peru, or Bolivia, those are the continuations of these trends that had started in an institutional and political way with the uh, discovery of the new world in the 15th century and 16th century. You know, when we started working on this, uh, the sort of uh, topics that we cover in this book were not popular among economists who focused on uh, such things as unemployment, uh, monetary policy, business cycles, but with big picture questions about long-run development weren't popular and when they were posed, they were posed in an entirely non-political context. And both James and I realized that you could really not divorce the economic trajectory of a nation from its political uh, dynamics, and we brought a political aspect to the political viewpoint to this uh, to this problem, and uh, and we started writing uh, academic papers both on the theory and empirical and historical analysis of these problems. And uh, about f- four years ago, we finally decided it was time to sort of push uh, this agenda and try to write a book that was both more comprehensive. So forced us to be. Uh, more holistic and and recognize different aspects of the problem, and also perhaps reach a broader audience.
0: Yeah, that was kind of uh, a little off the topic. What were we I guess well, actually, it is part of the topic uh, because we've we've went from uh, an inclusive uh, system to a more extractive system, I think, and. Uh, I want to introduce Captain Chris, if you're on the line. Chris, uh, did you
2: listen to that clip, or did you hear it? Yeah, I listened to part of it, and I got a different uh, spin on what they meant by extractive. I think that what they meant by extractive was taking things out of the earth. But that's kind of what I'm... I'm
0: Well, no, I think what they
2: meant was that that the...
0: People that settled, or the people that controlled the systems that settled this area were um, found that it was easier to be inclusive for the people that lived here and involve them in the system than it was just to come in and take the gold and run. And uh, I think that right now, I'm not really sure that they're not just taking the gold. (laughs)
2: Does does that make sense? I, I think they always took, I think they always just took the gold. And, you know, I think that that's really the, when you look to, I know these guys may be uh, South American or they may have a, you know, a a cultural position in this, but, you know, the way I look at it is that uh, the the Spanish culture was always a top-down kind of, I don't want to say dictatorial, but it was really kind of an imperial uh, uh, culture, both Uh, in in its foreign experiences and and domestically. That system, that imperial top-down dictatorial system translated to virtually every single Spanish colony, no matter where it was on the face of the earth until Corazon Aquino. And, And the reason I say that is because I disagree with them when they start talking about the different influences and sparsely populated and blah, blah, blah. You know, the thing is, is if you look where the Spanish uh, colonized, and that would include Argentina. He talked about Argentina. Argentina, you can talk about uh, the population in Argentina, which is, which is, f- for the most part, uh, white European. So it's not a racial thing. You can go to places uh, in uh, Africa where the Spanish were. You can go uh, around the world in, in virtually every single one of those places was a... Uh, a, a dictator, and it was a military dictator, and uh, it really didn't make any difference what the race was or the location was. It was just run that way. And uh, what, by contrast, um, I think that what you get out of, uh, and, and by the way, I'm Irish and I carry no torch, none, for the British uh, as a uh, colonial power based on what. Based on my personal experience, I've been to Ireland. Uh, I've seen the effect that the British had on Ireland. Uh, I, I, I'm not championing the British as being benevolent colonials uh, I was in India, and uh, I'll tell you just a brief story, so when I continue with this, you'll understand that I'm not just saying the British are wonderful. The, the, the legend has it that the British went to India, and they tried to... India finished goods that were being made by the British, which and, and the British made a bunch of very good finished products. But they went to Bengal and tried to convince Bengali weavers uh, to buy English cloth. And this, the legend in India was I heard over there, I don't know if it's true, it's apocryphal, I don't know what. But uh, evidently they showed the Bengali uh, uh, the, the political leadership. Uh, the cloth that the English wished to introduce into Bengal that had been made in uh, England. And in response, uh, Bengali weavers gave uh, the British a walnut. And inside the walnut was 25 feet, or thereabouts, of uh, woven cloth. In other words, it was so sheer and so fine and of such a quality that you could put 25 feet of this thing in a walnut shell. So... Uh, the apocrypha is, is that the British there the are cut the hands off the Bengali weavers. Now, I don't know if this is historically correct or not, but this was how the British were received. This is how the stories went about how brutal they were in uh, in India it, it, as a colonial power. That's what what they did for for marketing uh, uh, to the Indians. But but they have a side benefit in virtually every country where they uh, uh, colonized. And that was because the British didn't wind up with an extractive uh, colony, meaning uh, what I got from those guys was uh, the, who were writing about the, the MIT people was that there were cultures where you could go in and just take stuff out, like the, uh, uh, the Saudis can take oil out of the ground, the Spanish could take gold and silver and jewels and that sort of thing out, and it really, they really didn't need an educated population. And I think that the authors said that the Spanish enslaved the local population for the purposes of that extraction, and it's true. And so the societies there developed from a very thin layer at the top of very rich people, virtually no middle class, and a heavy population of people who were like Paonics, Uh, Peasants, you know, effectively slaves And when you went to the Spanish colonies uh, Even like a hundred years ago That's basically what you saw There was uh, a very stratified uh, population But there was virtually no middle class When you went to British colonies Virtually every British colony When uh, independence came they left in place a middle class, and I, you know, and you can go to South Africa, you can go to India, you can go to Hong Kong, you can go to uh, uh, Canada. It doesn't make any difference what the race or the location, like with the Spanish of the population, there was a middle class in place, and there's a reason for that, and the economic reason. And I didn't hear it from these guys, and I look at it differently. Is when the Spanish Uh, had the world divided for them by the Pope, uh, where the Portuguese got some folks and the Spanish got uh, some folks in some areas. Uh, The Spanish got gold and silver, but the British didn't, and the Dutch didn't, and the Scandinavians, the Germans, they they were at a different uh, kind of latitude in uh, the age of uh, exploration and colonization. And what they had to do is they had to rely on the production of a different type of marketable item. In other words, they couldn't dig up a lot of gold. Uh, so what they wound up doing is rolling tobacco, uh, with uh, producing tea, and other goods that required infrastructure. And it required things like running uh, shipping, uh, accounting systems, where there was a slim profit margin. So what they had to do, because the British didn't have the population to run India with Britons or their uh, African colonies with Britons, what they had to do was train the local population to run the economy. And when they did that, it was necessary to have schools for the locals. Uh, and by doing that, when they learned what was going on, the, the British gave them an education of British history that involved some some democratic processes. Yeah. When you go to Spanish history, there is no history of democratic processes.
0: Well, you know, Chris, that's where, that's where we're going with this. I mean, it seems like that we were created as an inclusive kind of system, but it's it, to me, recently, we've become uh, an extractive system. I mean, this uh, government, and the government falls into Mussolini's Formula for a fascist regime. I mean, the, this regime that is in control of our government now mixes the legal state representation with uh, with the squad violence, and this squad violence is uh, uh, what was the Antifa, or, or you know, uh, Antifa is a state-sanctioned squad violence, is what that is, and. It's used to harass the opposition or political opponents. And that is Mussolini's uh, hallmark, is that he combined the state legal repression, (laughs) and you can't say 87,000 IRS uh, agents agents. isn't repression, (laughs) repression. I mean... (laughs) What else is it? I mean, it, it has become, we've become an extractive system. In other words, our government, our system is is promoting the extraction of the wealth in this country, the economy. They're extracting this economy uh, and delivering it to the hands of the super wealthy, the elites. And uh, Acemoglu, his name is Esimoglu and Robertson were the people that, Formulated A lot of the uh, economic positions that, that I took this clip from, they, they believe that the hallmark of a democratic system was the middle class. And it seems to me that this last two years has been the execution of the middle class in this country. I mean, just the That's shutdown dissolved 30% of the... Small businesses in this country, Uh, you know, does it does it seem like we have entered an extractive system that is a fascist regime to you, or am I just wasting time here on nine eleven?
2: No, I I just now that I understand, and you know, maybe I was misinterpreting what you mean by extractive, meaning using the population to extract resources, and and that's it. yeah, uh, then, then I agree with that analysis, and well, I agree not, with your analysis.
0: Not, well, they're not creating a, an inclusive uh, environment for business here in the United States. As a matter of fact, the only businesses that have just went gangbusters are the ones that were exempt from the lockdown. You know, the Amazon's, the uh, WalMarts, these the super mega co- corporations. Have had windfall profits during this last two years, while the middle class has taken the big brunt of this. We we have very, a very small middle class right now, and we're being harassed by the state legal repression, <laughs> the legal repression, and we're also facing the uh, violence from the illegal immigration. The uh, Open borders, where the violence from the state-sanctioned uh, Antifa and a lot of people would even say Black Black Lives Matter is a is a part of a a political opposition. So you know, well, if uh, you look, if, and you if know, you look early, at the Party, Well, I was going to also say that, you, that that part of the uh, the nine eleven uh, uh, legacy is the. <laughs> is the patriot act which has been part of what they've used to create this extractive system now and demolish the middle class
2: well i i, I certainly think that there have been overreaches in the exercise of uh, laws that were promulgated under the patriot uh, as part of the patriot act and i agree with you on the uh, idea that the middle class is being repressed you know when you look to see the difference between uh, what, what I guess has been termed an extractive a society and a, and a society with middle class, uh, and, and and I would I would accept your definition of extractive. You know, the middle class it, it, it was was created and fostered with the idea, uh, or, or was was supported with the idea was that that average citizens could go out. Get a job, educate their children, have their children uh, uh, become part of the uh, uh, bureaucracy, part of the commerce uh, hierarchy, part of the political process, uh, and and so advance the family. And then what would happen is, if there was uh, self-rule, Uh, those people would uh, be able to gain a greater deal of political control over the area. So as a foundation in all of that, what you really need uh, is the average person to have the ability to migrate upward through the different social avenues, being it commerce or government or the military and the the like. In your extractive societies, what you want is a cap. You want to have certain a certain class of people who run everything, and the rest of the people are just peones, like they were in Spanish cultures uh, throughout the world. You really didn't have the ability uh, to migrate upward, because that was run, uh, and it was a closed set. And what we're getting, and I agree with you, is behaviors, you know, like during the pandemic, that really repressed the middle class uh, I think a continuation of that is uh, a continuation of, uh, in the form of attack on the culture that allows the creation and supports the middle class. What you want to do is attack the family. you want to attack the ability to migrate upward. You want to attack, you want to have a closed set system. And so what, what you hear uh, uh, from, the, from the, 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 uh, what I would call the left in government, as sponsored uh, by and participated in by the media, are constant attacks on traditions and families and uh, those kind of concerns for uh, uh, a mom and dad family with uh, the the idea that you can progress and succeed in a small business, uh, that it's good to be uh, a parent, that uh, you have controls over your schools, Things that are fundamental to the creation of middle class are being contested, challenged, ridiculed, and repressed. You know, um, I don't think that's your imagination. And I think that to the extent that that happens, to the extent that freedoms that are necessary for that progress, the freedom of speech, the freedom of ideas so that we have innovation and creativity and science that produces technological advances – that uh, are created by the middle class. Uh, people go to go to schools and express themselves through education and technology. Those things are being increasingly, in my opinion, uh, being uh, uh, challenged and and squashed by uh, it's media
0: control. Well, it's interesting that you bring up science too. I mean, now uh, we we've, we've even challenged the legitimacy of the science of of at least medicine for sure now. I mean, a lot of people look back at the last two and a half years and question the science because, of course, uh, it might not have been uh, uh, objective science. It might have been political science. I think that, you know, uh, you described it uh, as a... Um, what was it? I can't remember. A couple of shows ago you had talked about um, the politi- political... Um, oh, I can't remember The
2: censorship of, of, uh, of what is a, a process That is, it, science implies And that is the uh, statement of a postulate Of an idea And then that e- idea is put out And then other people challenge that And the idea is, can you replicate Can you prove what that postulate is What that idea is Right. And other people get to challenge it you know, you say it used to be believed that life uh, was the product of, of some theory called you know uh, a spontaneous generation, that uh, flies uh, came from rotting meat, you know <laughs> stuff like that. I mean, people really believe this shit. Excuse me, this stuff. And, uh, so what? Ha- yeah. So what happens is that other people uh, went through experimentation and uh, tried to replicate things, and, and it was proven that that just isn't. Uh, that that isn't correct. These well, Chris, days, we, when you I, get, I think this
0: started with nine eleven, didn't it? I mean, we've just we've been uh, in perpetual war for the last twenty one years since nine eleven. Perpetual war.
2: Well, I, I think I think that they're tools that appeared as a result of nine eleven. But if you go back to the Clintons. You will see the same gaslighting, the same press restrictions of information. You'll see stories weren't covered or or, or, or prosecuted by investigative journalists. People who tried to speak. I'm not even going to get into you know uh, tin foil hat conspiracy theories. But well, you know hey, what happens is when you have. Go ahead. Please. What
0: about what about Reagan? <laughs> what about what about Reagan in South America and the? contras and the uh, you know how much of how much repression of information did we did we not know about then
2: well you know the thing is is that uh, the press did everything to expose that and and if you remember here here's what it was well, wh- whether the government was fighting or not the press was not in lockstep with the Reagan administration the, what Reagan was doing uh, is he was selling uh... Uh, intelligence to Saddam Hussein and defective weapons to the uh, Iranians that could fight and kill each other. Uh, That's what he was up to. And uh, what he was doing was using the money that he got from uh, the arms sales to fund the Contras, because Congress wouldn't do it. But the press tracked take a
0: break. We're going to have to take a break. We'll be back in a few minutes. This is Captain Fred, the fifth dimension. See
2: you in a few minutes. Truth, you can't handle the
3: truth. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Real news, real talk, real people, because you can handle the truth.
4: Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee by going to rbnhemppaste.com and ordering a trial pack of Happy Packets for $5 with free shipping. That's rbnhemppaste.com.
3: Russian sanctions may be backfiring. I'm Peter Zerfine and this is today's Liberty Minute. The U.S. and much of Europe put heavy sanctions on Russian energy over the Ukrainian situation. These sanctions have had an effect, but maybe not the intended one. Much of Europe is warning of serious energy shortages in the coming winter. Some countries are putting caps on use and subsidizing costs. Yesterday, Putin announced he was closing off the tap. No more energy exports until the sanctions are lifted. So who's really being hurt by these sanctions? Russia or European allies? If only there was another large country with vast natural gas and oil resources that could help our allies and prevent them from freezing. If only... There was an energy-independent nation with free markets which could guarantee the energy security of European families. Find more news and commentary at liberty-lighthouse.com. Until tomorrow, see this Pashem
5: Parabellum. My name is John. I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee. And I started Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee. And after traveling so much to Europe, South America, and You have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get. And you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10.
0: Was home when you look, are right. Your sister was home when you look, you're, you're right. Your father was home when you look, you're right. The dog was home
3: when you look, you're right. The your cat was home when you look. You're right. The fish was home when you look. You're right. Your mommy, your daddy, your brother, your sister, the dog, the cat, the fish was home when you look. You're, you're right. And that's the reason you look. You're right. I I I
0: You know, 21 years ago today, this country was uh, bum-rushed into, uh, like that song says, joining the army and fighting this uh, terrible uh, opposition to freedom, which was uh, declared to be the Osama bin Laden. And we spent the last 21 years going into debt... uh, killing our children, and killing other children, and, and for what? Have we been, Chris, we were talking about the extractive system. When we went to a, a, a Afghanistan, did we go there to bring in inclusion, or did we go there to extract wealth from Afghanistan?
2: Well, I think that we went there to do two things. Uh, The stated objective was to deny a base to radical Islam because uh, it was uh, believed that uh, radical Islam was using Afghanistan as a uh, training and focal point for attacks on the West. That was one reason. But uh, after a certain point, and it becomes confused as to whether the purpose was just to go there to spend money, uh, and you have to figure out where all of that... But it's like the Ukraine today. No one can figure out where that money really went. You know, when the Karzai and, you know, people in the Afghan government were given billions of dollars, it, it, it didn't go over there with an accountant. Those dollars didn't. Saying, well, this dollar went to this guy and that dollar went to that guy. And the same thing's happening today in the Ukraine. But, but, but let's talk about Afghanistan. You know, the idea was that we were going to deny a base to radical Islam, we were there for 20 years, and <laughs> uh, the idea is: were we really there with the idea to prevent radical Islam, or we, we were we there with the idea that we were going to export a political system, a democratic political system? Chris, and we've when been doing we to to, ever.
0: You know that was the same thing that we did in Vietnam. They said that we were saving the world from communism in Vietnam, but it always seems to be that the only people that benefit were the military people, the people that that made money off of war. Well,
2: I, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. You know, the thing is, is it's, it it is the arrogance of uh, uh, of our foreign policy that suggests that if we go over and just explain to people how wonderful what we do is, they're just going to slap their foreheads and say, oh, my God, what have we been doing? You know, we're just, how foolish have we been? And I, I think I mentioned this before, but I watched a um, an Obama administration, State Department spokeswoman, and she was uh, wearing a black dress, and she had uh, really thick black uh uh, glasses on, and a blondish looking gal, and uh, you can tell she was in the State Department, so she passed the foreign service exam, which is kind of tough. And uh, someone asked her well, when all of this stuff was going on about Afghanistan, uh, in the uh, and uh, American presence uh, in quote fighting radical Islam and ISIS and all of that sort of stuff, what was her solution? What was uh, not her personally, but what was the State Department's position? on how they were going to stop radical Islam. And she said, well, what we need to do is to sit down with their elected leaders and uh, identify root causes. Well, I may have mentioned this before. You know, what, what I found curious was is that a lot of these fundamentalist religious societies were not going to sit down at a table with a woman uh, who with an uncovered head, and maybe even with a covered head, to talk uh, with her about uh, root causes. But even so, you know, it turns out that when you look at fundamentalist or Islamic cultures generally, uh, it's hard to find those that you can say are really democratically elected governments. You go around the world, they're not there. Is the Taliban democratically elected? I mean, seriously, they think democracy is heresy. They believe that the, that the church and the state are one. So what, what you have is uh, the idea we're going to sit down with their elected leader. Now you you're not going to sit down with them. I don't want to hear from you. Two, uh, there aren't any elected leaders. And three, you're going to talk about their root causes. Well, the root causes is that they have a different worldview. And that worldview is based on their understanding of, of, of how the, the world exists in a metaphysical sense their understanding of God, their understanding of God's relation to people and people's relations to God and the universe. That's not a root cause. That's a fundamental belief. I mean, that's like saying you're going to go talk to people about the uh, fundamental, uh, the, the root causes of Christianity. I mean, it does, to me, it doesn't even make any sense. But I digress. If that is your national policy, you know, what's the, it, and it's obviously silly, what's really going on? What are we really doing? While well, somebody is claiming that this is a solution, what is the real activity of the military and the political establishment? And at the time, it was just to give people money to buy arms, which is kind of basically what was going on in the Ukraine. You know, who, who, benefits?
0: Well, yeah, who benefits? No, but no one
2: really this? knows if
0: they're actually getting arms anymore. People are beginning to say well, are that. you really? Well, the military doesn't
2: well, even know. Well, some of this
0: stuff's been shipped.
2: Well, yeah, where does the money go? The thing is, it's your tax dollars, and it disappears in some place that's as transparent as Afghanistan. <laughs> I mean, that's absurd. You know, uh, your tax well, dollars disappear into a land of, of opium traffickers and warlords, and, and the money just disappears over there, and we're waiting for them to hold free elections. Seriously. I mean, seriously. Really? And we bail out of there, and it takes them about, what, two weeks for them to get back into the same repressive, fundamentalist uh, experience that uh, was going on before. So it it didn't look look like we had an effect. Yeah, but see, that's just it. If we actually
0: were doing something there, it might have taken longer than a couple of weeks for it to, to go back to the way it was. I mean... Uh, in effect, we really didn't do anything over there besides spend money and kill people and maybe raise some good heroin or whatever else they took out of there. A lot of people say that the the uh lithium that comes out of Afghanistan's really yeah. high grade so you know i don't know well, what's
2: they, going. they have they have rare earth deposits they've got lithium deposits, things that are necessary for the kind of next phase of uh technology, if you believe. Uh, uh, the, uh, the people who believe, you know, believe in the New Green Deal. Uh, th- that's where all—I you know, wouldn't say all of it—but there's a, a big chunk of the necessary resources are in Afghanistan. But I really think that that's kind of beside the point. What we're what we're really talking about is we take taxpayer dollars, trillions of dollars, and put it someplace where we don't even know where it's going. You know, and. I, 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 I don't think that, that repressive political states are a good idea. I just... I, I don't. But in a certain sense, isn't that the responsibility of the people within that state to deal with it? In other words, what... Why is, it, why is someone in Vietnam going to listen to me about how to conduct right. what's going on in their country? Uh-huh. I, I, I think that it, it may be that if I went over and talked to them, that's good, but if I show up with a gun... That just seems to be uh, too easily uh, written off as uh, imperialist or colonialist. If we're so great, you know, the the, the joke was during the Vietnam War, what we should do is just give everybody blue jeans, you know, and uh, just, you know, and give them Beatle records rather than, uh, (laughs) you know, bomb them. Hey, listen. Show show them uh, what's positive. You're the one that really brought
0: up Mussolini to me the other day, and and how uh, this fascist government, if not, our government now resembles Mussolini's fascist government now more than it does what we had a few years ago. I think that uh, number one, a lot of people question the legitimacy of this president that there and the the regime, and I say regime because it really floats more past the president position and it goes into the. FBI, the CIA, the uh, the, uh, uh, the the Supreme Court, everything has 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 kind of begun to uh, look more like a fascist uh, uh, a government that's controlled by a few very wealthy landowners, which is what really put Mussolini into the government in the first place, because it was the really rich people that funded his uh, black shirts, or the, uh, what did I say about them, the, uh, the illegal uh, squads that went out and intimidated people. And that's what's happened here in the United States with uh, Antifa and B.L. Well, well, well,
2: let, 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 let's stop for a second and talk about what fascism means. Because you hear this term, you hear Antifa, you're anti-fascist, you hear... Uh, uh, people on the left talk about how uh, Republicans are fascists or semi fascists and I, I, I think that that is 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 total gaslighting and uh, let me let me explain what I understand fascism to be. Fascism as Mussolini identified it uh, postulates that there is a state and and when I say a state it's like you know who's in control or who's running, uh, the political process. That state becomes all important. And everything He's, is said, uh, yeah. subservient, M- subservient M- and measured I, well, hang on just a sec. measured in terms of whether it makes whether it supports or it, it detracts from the state. And, and and everything is measured by that. And the one of the arch enemies uh, of, uh, of fascism, as Mussolini identified it, was classical liberalism, where you had a search for truth and, and all of the stuff that was associated with the Enlightenment. They didn't believe that, the fascists don't. They believe if whatever you come up with uh, contests the state's authority, and everything exists for the state. People exist for the state. right? Art exists for the state. And so if, if what you are doing is viewed to be contrary to the state's interest uh then uh it needs to be dealt with and so if you listen to the last uh uh, you know publicized speech of joe biden he's talking about the fact that people who are republicans are a threat to democracy meaning a threat to the state to the institution and that they're dangerous. And he's previously, in the Justice Department, has suggested uh, that that uh, people who are uh, Trump supporters are uh, terrorists. Now, wait a minute. You know, uh, constitutional government uh, may be antithetical, meaning it may be contrary to what uh, uh, some people who believe in this kind of super state uh, Uh, think is really what's going on. Uh, If you believe in this kind of uh, super state, uh, then if you don't agree with uh, the democratic left, uh, then you are contesting their view of the state and you become uh, somebody like a classical liberal who uh, is uh, harmful to the state and you should be dealt with as a terrorist. And what happens is, is you get this gaslighting where you are called exactly what they are doing. In other words, Trump supporters believed, at least I thought they did, during the last election, a part of their problem was that they believed that the constitutional problem, processes had been violated by the conduct of the election. In other words, they it, Trump supporters weren't, weren't uh, uh, at the Capitol to uh, override the Constitution, but rather to ensure that it was being followed. And uh, at least that's the way I understand it. Now, the fact that some people may have become violent and all of that, uh, you know, is is against the law, and, uh, you know, I'm not in favor of that. But the idea is, I don't think people were trying to destroy the Constitution, but rather they were trying to make sure that it was being followed. And what I hear... is that of people
0: that support support anything other than the state are... Uh, of no value at all. That's what Mussolini said. Mussolini said that, uh, described the it. state, all that's embracing. It. Outside of it, no human or spiritual values can exist, much less have value. And that's kind of what's happening with this country right now. I mean, if you don't...
2: If well, you let, don't, let's, uh, let's just stop for a second. Not a, before we get to this country, so with that is the analytical framework. That's how we judge things. Let me ask you this. Is China a fascist society? It sure sounds that way. If you don't do what the Chinese government wants, uh, you've got a problem. Uh, I remember Tiananmen Square. You know, it's a different idea. So you ask, was Joe Stalin uh, uh, a fascist? You better believe it. How about Pol Pot? These are all alleged communists. Mao Zedong? Yeah. So the idea that where they say, well, communists uh, a- as practiced... Uh, weren't fascists, or fascists are at the opposite end of the spectrum, that's nonsense. What you're seeing from those governments uh, is exactly what Mussolini's talking about. If you are not supporting the state, you have no value. We can imprison you. We can shoot you. We can put you in a concentration camp. And if you're thinking about these things today, who's got concentration camps? Who wants concentration camps? Do Republicans want concentration camps, or do the Chinese? So (laughs) who's on what end of censorship? Because it's contrary to what the government thinks is a good, or or the state thinks is a good idea. Are Republicans, in fact, uh, supportive of censorship? No. What they're saying is uh, Republican voices and scientific uh, uh, ideas are being actively censored by the political state in this country. You know, if you wanted to talk about uh, medications to, uh, uh, to to combat COVID, you were censored. If well, you wanted to uh, tell people that Hunter's Biden had a laptop, you were censored. That's of not a, Those aren't Republican values.
0: Mussolini used the state police to intimidate its opponents. Right. Kind of like maybe well, the hello? FBI. Like uh, the FBI yeah. intimidating the opponents now, I mean we have fell into a state of fascism with a regime and i don 't even i don't even call Biden the president i I call it he's part of a regime that's taken over this country and it's a an, an extractive system they're taking out of this country they're not building uh, an inclusive system where the middle class is is this is the signature of a demo- democracy or a democratic republic when we have uh, when the elections are at question when we're uh, the opposition is intimidated or, and actually according to what you said also I didn't listen to Biden's speech now if you're in the opposition then you don't have any value to this country at all so that's the description. It, 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 I should,
2: well, you know, and I think the state exists at, well, we're talking about the state and, uh, you know, fascist tendencies in the political culture. I think it's greater than the, than, the, than the United States government. In other words, it incorporates the behavior of the mainstream media, and it incorporates the uh, uh, behaviors uh, of, the, of the established bureaucracy. In other words, these are political ends that are being served uh, when you look to the mainstream media. And i just bring up something as obvious as Hunter Biden's laptop. That got suppressed uh, a couple weeks before the election. People weren't allowed to hear the degree of influence peddling that was going on in the president's, uh, uh, Biden's family. Uh, now, think about that. Think about that. Where, in what type of society or culture Does information during the course of election just get censored? Is that a democratic uh, republic? Or does that sound more like a a fascist state where if the information doesn't support the ends of the state, it's meaningless, it's valueless, and you don't get it? That's right. And it's okay. It's okay when the participants, be that, you know, uh, ABC, NBC, CBS, all of those people, it's okay that what they do is they don't report it. It's in fact it's a good idea. And what happens is the bureaucratic state comes out and says this laptop it, it bears all the earmarks of Russian disinformation. Wait a minute. It wasn't Russian Russian disinformation. But that's what the the, the people who were identified with the bureaucratic state came out and told you during the election no, where are we headed with this? Does that sound like even-handed democratic process? It doesn't to me.
0: I think we're right know, I, thought, I don't think we're heading anywhere. I think we're right in the middle of a fascist regime regime in charge of this country, and I think they're using the media to uh, to their advantage. It amazes me sometimes that they even allow us to be on the radio, too. I mean, we talk about a lot. Well, of you stuff. know,
2: I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't hold your breath, you know, on that one. You know, the thing is, is that we have the opportunity to speak, and I know uh, a lot of liberal friends would disagree completely with what I'm saying. But that's not the issue. The issue isn't that people disagree with what we might be saying. The idea is, are we permitted to say it? And actually, the better behavior is, if someone disagrees with what we're saying, it's their responsibility to come forward with information that challenges what we're saying. And I think you and I are saying that freedom of expression has been curtailed. It's been curtailed during the pandemic. It was curtailed during the election. And it's curtailed uh, by the means of uh, what I would call social suppression where what, what what happens is if we make a statement such as there are two genders, uh, people jump up and say, you can't say that. What do you mean I can't say that? People lose their jobs. People in uh, in education and other uh, uh, callings get fired for saying things as obvious as there are two fired. genders. You're not your shot still. Still
0: today, there are places that require you to have a vaccination to be employed, uh, As as yeah. is and some of the schools are that way too right now and that doesn't really sound much like a kind of state that uh, allows freedom well, of
2: choice, well, there may be there may be a political or, or, or legal support for requiring vaccinations there may be i'm not saying that there is i'm not saying that there isn't but what i'm what i'm, I'm suggesting something different if you attempt to make public scientific information that says the vaccine is effectively worthless, you were censored. If you wanted to make statements about the fact that there were alternative uh, treatments and protocols for treating COVID, you were censored. And I think I said this before, my daughter was in pre-med and she took a, uh, 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 an account on the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine that was acquired from the CDC, and she put it on Facebook. Facebook, and she got a bunch of blowback from. I'm have to get what particular course of action, but she got blowback from Facebook. Now wait a minute. That 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 came from the allegedly from the government's own scientific community. Well, uh, Chris, so what uh, happened? They're is using, when, They're
0: using social media to to promote the agenda too I mean the all of the media yeah, its part of, the, social media, part of, the deal. of influenced by by the uh, the regime of fascists that control this country and are extracting everything first of all uh, let me take a minute to, to give out the phone number here because the second hour we're gonna if people would like to call in and add their two cents to what we're talking about is five one two two four eight 248 8252. Again, that's 512-248-8252. we just got a couple more minutes left now. But, you know, it seems like ever since 9-11, we've been involved in uh, a downward spiral. And now we're in a situation where I think we're in a full-blown uh, fascist control regime
2: right now. Uh, but I well, could- it, it certainly has... Certainly has the overspin of that when you have the president of the United States identifying 71 million voters as being a threat to democracy. I mean, what? What? Yeah,
0: what? I, I hey, mean, well, think, listen, there's the think about, about, about that for a minute. Chris, uh, you know what? Uh, I think we're going to think about it for the next hour. We'll <clears> be back Few minutes. Uh, this is Captain Fred, and we have Captain Chris on board too. And we're talking about the fascist state. We'll be back. In-
1: There's no turning back.
6: You know that essential oils have had a multitude of natural health and skin uses in history, but have been somewhat forgotten by recent civilization. Susanna's Secret offers 100% pure and natural oils at prices you can actually afford. Do you have a house or office with a musty smell or mold? Studies have shown that essential oils like the one in our thief and robber's blend will kill or inhibit mold, viruses, bacteria, and fungus. Just diffuse with it and you will see the long-lasting effects that even synthetic chemicals don't achieve. Purifica, another one of our products used to clean and freshen your house or give a natural scent when drying laundry. For that special lady, we offer a ginger argan oil in a beautiful cosmetic bottle or a pure argan oil, a natural acne-fighting product. Check us out at SusannaSecret.com. That's S-U-S-A-N-A-S Secret.com. S-U-S-A-N-A-S Secret.com.